You may be seated. And if those who are going to help with the reading this morning would make their way up to the choir loft. Last week we heard a story from the life of Israel's great King David. A story both disturbing and redemptive about how King David and Queen Bathsheba came to be married. This morning, we hear the story of their second son, King Solomon. Now, Solomon is the end of the golden age of ancient Israel. After he dies, the kingdom splits into north and south. It descends into chaos and infighting, and eventually both kingdoms are invaded and carried away into exile, just like that microphone top. It's fine. I'm using the cordless one. Is it still working? It wasn't? Great. All right. (laughs) Now, this being carried away into exile didn't happen for no reason. Thank you. It happened because human actions have consequences, both natural and obvious, and deeper and subtle. Sometimes Bible stories come across a little flat to us because the Bible is pretty light on description. But the characters in those stories are as complicated as we are. Solomon, like David, can't be put into a neat little box. He doesn't fit squarely into only one category. In direct contradiction to God's plan, he heavily taxes his people. He forces them to work for him. He forms alliances with other countries, and he does that by marrying multiple foreign wives. And in addition to that, just like his father David, he brings hundreds of other women into his household to be his sexual partners. But he also builds a temple for God. And he's remembered as Israel's wisest king. And that's the story that we hear this morning. Solomon went to Gibeon to offer sacrifices, for that was the most important high place, and he offered a thousand burnt offerings on that altar. At Gibeon, God appeared to Solomon during the night in a dream, and said, Ask for whatever you want me to give you. you Sol- show- Solomon answered, You have shown great kindness to your servant, my father David, because he was faithful to you, and righteous and upright in heart. You have continued this great kindness to him and have given him a son to sit at this throne this very day. Now, my God, you have made me king in place of my father David, but I am only a little child and I do not know how to carry out my duties. Your servant is here among the people you have chosen, a great people, too numerous to count or number. So give your servant a discerning heart to govern your people and to distinguish between right and wrong. For who, for who is able to govern this great people of yours? God was pleased that Solomon had asked for wisdom and said, Since you have asked for this, and not for long life or wealth for yourself, nor have asked for the death of your enemies, but for discernment and administering justice, why not do what you have asked? We'll give you a wise and discerning heart so that there will never be, never be anyone like you, nor ever have been. Moreover, 
you have not asked for, both wealth and honor, so that in your lifetime you will have no equal among kings. And if you walk in obedience to me and keep my decrees and commands as David your father did, I will give you long life. Then Solomon awoke, and he realized it had been a dream. He returned to Jerusalem, stood before the Ark of the Covenant, and sacrificed burnt offerings and fellowship offerings. Then he gave a feast for all of his court. Now, two prostitutes came to the king and stood before him. One of them said, Pardon me, Lord. This woman and I lived in the same house, and I had a baby while she was there with me. The third day after my child was born, this woman also had a baby. We were alone. There was no one in the house but the two of us. During the night, this woman's son died because she lay on him. So she got up in the middle of the night and took my son from my side while your servant was asleep. She put him by her breast and put her dead son by my breast. The next, the next morning, I got up to nurse my son, and he was dead. But when I looked at him closely in the morning, I saw that it was not the son I had born. No, the living one is my son. The dead one is your baby. No, the dead one is yours. The living one is mine. Bring me a sword. Now cut the living child in two and give half to one and half to the other. The woman whose son was alive was deeply moved out of love for her, out of love for her son, and said to the king, Please, Lord, give her the living baby. Don't kill him. No, neither of us need to have the baby. Cut him in two. Give the baby to the first woman. Do not kill him. She is his mother. When all Israel heard the verdict the king had given, they held the king in awe, because they saw that he had wisdom from God to administer justice. This is the word of God for all people. And now we ask the young. So as I said at the beginning of service, this is Reformation Sunday, which means that 501 years ago, Martin Luther nailed 95 theses to, this, to the door of Wittenberg Castle Church. Last week we talked about the power of perspective, so here's a little perspective on Luther. He probably wasn't the only guy to nail theses to the door that day. What Martin Luther did was the 16th century equivalent of pinning an academic flyer to a crowded billboard. It's what people did to advertise their ideas and their desire to talk about them. Now, I don't tell you this to diminish his action, but to point out that sometimes our everyday choices can have huge consequences and can be remembered in ways that we didn't anticipate them. And then sometimes we make choices and we know they're a big deal. Life is a series of choices. Some of them we recognize as significant and some of them we don't. And I wonder what type of choice Solomon thought he was making in this story when he asks for wisdom. What we know for sure is that like Martin Luther nailing his theses to the door, history remembers Solomon's choice as being significant. This is his defining moment, a choice that will mark him for the rest of his life and all of history 
as the wisest king of Israel. Now, just like Mary did with the kids, I'm going to give you a moment to imagine this. In a moment of silence during prayers of the people, or in the reflection after the sermon, you hear the voice of God saying to you, ask me for what you want, and what would you ask for? Probably you have a silly answer ready, like some of the kids did. Something to do with money or beauty. Maybe your answer would be a little bit more serious. Maybe you would ask for healing, for a loved one, or for yourself. In this story, Solomon asks for wisdom. Not wealth, not good looks, not long life, not victory over his enemies. He doesn't even actually ask to be the most intelligent guy in the room. The literal translation of what he asks for, it's different depending on which version you read it in. The most literal translation is that he asks for a listening heart to judge God's people, to discern between good and evil. And here's what stands out to me as we read this story in the context of beginning our stewardship program. Solomon knew what to ask for because he knew what he was up against. He knew his family history. He was on the throne not because he was the oldest of his siblings, but after a series of political intrigues and murders. He's not necessarily the people's choice. He was tasked with ruling over a tumultuous and diverse kingdom that is surrounded by enemies. Solomon felt the weight of the responsibility of leading the people of God. You can read it in the text. In his own power, he is not adequate to this task. Solomon knew what he was up against. And so what he asked for was the ability to be a good steward of what had been entrusted to him. He had the wisdom to ask for wisdom, which I think is ironic. This morning, I think that as a congregation, we are in a position not unlike Solomon's. We have entered into a new phase of life as a congregation. Next week, we're bringing in 12 new members, friends. We have never been these people in this place and this time before. 181 years of history in Delaware, and we've never been just like we are. We can look back and see what has led us to this point individually and together, both the good and the bad. And we have a sense, don't we, of what we are up against. The rates of addiction and domestic violence continue to rise. People call this church almost every day and ask me for money to buy food or to pay their utilities. Despite all of our digital connections, people feel lonelier and more isolated than ever. Our culture is becoming more polarized, polarized and more violent. 
And we are getting worse and worse at having civil conversations with people who believe differently than we do. But here's what else we know. The gathered people of God can do something about every single one of those issues. Maybe not all at once, but there are opportunities right in front of us. God is inviting us to do something. And so as we begin our stewardship program, we have to ask ourselves, what do we really want in the face of what we're up against? This story is so challenging because it reveals that the answer to that question is not necessarily more money. Could we do more things if we had more resources? Yes, of course we could. But the point is that money is not the answer. Money is not going to fix all of our problems. The deepest needs of the human heart, the things that are plaguing our communities, will not be fixed by throwing money at them. The challenges that our teachers and staff face in their schools are not going to be fixed simply by more funding. More funding would help, of course it would. But there's more to it than that. What we need, what Solomon reminds us to ask for, is a listening heart. We are called to pay attention to what's happening around us. We are called to notice each other, to really see one another. And then like I pray for us almost every week, once we see the need, we need the wisdom to know how to address it. We need the ability to discern between right and wrong, between a helpful response and a hurtful response. We can have all of the money in the world, but if we are going to be effective for the kingdom, we need the wisdom of God. In this story, Solomon knows what to ask for. And because he has proven that he could be a good steward, God also promises him great wealth. Because Solomon has demonstrated that he would use that wealth wisely, he gets the wealth. He just gets it with the right perspective and in the right order. So as we begin our stewardship program, the question for each of us is not only how much am I going to give, the question is what am I going to do with what's been given to me already? This is the question for us as individuals and for us as a congregation. What has God given you and what are you going to do with it? What has God given us? And what are we going to do with it? How are you going to share your blessings with the community? How are we going to share our blessings with the world? As I told you earlier, Solomon was not perfect. He was human. He was really good at judging other people's situations, but he made some really bad choices for himself. And yet, he's the guy that God chose to use. God entrusted the leadership of God's precious people to this deeply flawed individual. 
And God continues to entrust the good news of redemption to some deeply flawed people. To turn the blessing of the world over to us is God's own radical act of stewardship. Amen. I'd like to invite you to get those cards out of your, out of your bulletins and hold them in your hands as we move into a time of reflection. I want to invite you to take a deep breath and to notice if you're holding tension anywhere in your body because talking about money, especially in public, tends to make us anxious. So let me remind you of our values. Around here, we don't use shame or pressure to get anybody to do anything. We believe that God is inviting us into redemptive relationships of sacrificial love. And there's nothing to be afraid of in this moment. As you hold on to these cards, you might want to close your eyes to shut out any distractions. And holding these cards is not magic but it's a tangible reminder of what you're focusing on right now. In this stewardship program, we're inviting each individual or each family to increase their giving by $5 a week. Some of you can do that. Some of you can't do that. Some of you don't think you can do that, but you could. Some of you know you can do more than that. This morning, you may immediately have an idea in your mind of what you'd like to give in the next year and you're ready to put your pledge card in the offering, that's fine. Some of you need more time and that's fine too because we're going to take four weeks to let these cards come back in for God to help us discern, to give us wisdom and for us to gather them in as a community. So as you listen to God's spirit this morning, I invite you to open your hearts and minds. Rest in God's presence. What is God calling you to do with what you've been given? Who is God inviting you to be this morning before you write anything down? Who is God inviting you to be? What are you up against? Where are the opportunities around you? How are you uniquely created and positioned to be a blessing to the world? to do with what God has given you. Just take a few moments to ask God for wisdom and to listen to the Spirit.
Generous God, we want to be good stewards of what you've given us. We need your wisdom. Please speak to us. Amen. And now we will receive our offering. So as the ushers come forward, I want to invite you to do a couple of specific things this week. First of all, I want to invite you to have a conversation with someone else about what you can do with what you've been given. Some of you make financial decisions with a partner, and that person is going to be a natural conversation partner. Some of you want to find another friend to talk to about this. See what comes up, not necessarily as you talk about money, but as you begin to dream together about what God has given you and what needs to be done in the world. And then second, begin to pray, if you would please, about how you want to share your resources with one another here at Zion, both in the amount of your giving and how you spend your time. Because stewardship is not the pastor asking the people for more money. As the pastor, I serve as kind of a symbol for all of us, but I'm not your boss. This church is a cooperative effort. With all the members taking turns in leadership roles, we all do the work. We all approve the budget. We all experiment with new, with new ministries. And I may be the one that you have asked to stand up here and say all the words, but what I'm really doing is inviting you on behalf of each other to fight your fear of scarcity by being generous with your time and your talents and your treasures. And we receive the offering as a deliberate part of the service because it reminds us that we are all in this thing together. So as the ushers come forward, on behalf of all of you, I thank you for your generosity this morning.